0: Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at FitBod.me slash Zabe. That's fitbo dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the ZabeCast, shady, shady, shady never has a crime so fit the guy who might have had something to do with it roger goodell call your office cash versus credit an interesting argument we got thigh slapping tennis hotties and the big lie that sports networks keep telling us all that plus the difference between drunk driving and drinking while driving you got 45 minutes burning a hole in your pocket then buckle up and let's go here we go Wednesday, July 11, 2018. Thank you for the download. Just me today, but I'm going to be more than you can handle. Who wants to talk some sports and stuff? Shady McCoy. Well, well, well. This, this is bad. This is really, really bad. By now, I'm sure you know the particulars. Shady McCoy broke up with a girlfriend. Ends up she's living in a house that he owns. She thinks that he gave her the house, won't move out. He's been trying to get her evicted. It's going through a legal process. They had a court date scheduled, I think, for Tuesday of this week. The attack happened on Monday night. She was, according to her lawyers, uh, she was asleep at home when a lone intruder broke in. Brutally beat her, probably pistol whipped her. Demanded certain jewelry items back that had been given to her by Shady McCoy, uh, according this is all according to the victim and her lawyer, and afterwards, the friend of this woman whose photograph in the hospital is stomach-churning to look at and to think about if it might have involved an NFL star in any way, shape, or form, uh, the friend of the victim put out an Instagram post, because, you know, that's what kids do today these days. Oh, this would be great to air all this on Instagram. It got attention for sure, in which she said, you are the devil, Shady McCoy, you did this, you will pay for this, and then starts outlining other allegations about punching his dog into kidney failure, about beating his kid because he pees in the bed, little Adrian Peterson there, nice, and then also taking illegal steroids, illegal steroids, as opposed to the legal steroids. The post was taken down later that afternoon on Tuesday, but she then reposted something saying, I stand by every word of it, it's just that my lawyer said I had to take it down. Now, of course, she has put herself at exposure for a serious lawsuit for defamation if Shady McCoy wants to go down that route, although I think that's a bit overblown. I heard some callers to sports radio shows say, "Oh, she's going to get sued. Yeah, well, you sue her for defamation, then she's got the right for all kinds of discovery in her defense, And truth, as they say, is the ultimate defense if what she says is true. Shady McCoy, for his part, immediately put out a statement on his Instagram saying that these allegations are completely false and that, in addition, he hasn't spoken to any of the people involved for almost two months. Which doesn't really pay the bills when it comes to, oh, okay, well then never mind. Because you don't have to be Uh, Oh, pick a great detective in TV history. Uh, You don't have to be some genius detective to piece together, hmm, what, what could have happened here? Woman who's been dating Shady McCoy, now broken up, not leaving a house that he's trying to get her evicted from. They've got a court case going on. and Oh, look at that. What a random, weird act of violence that was. Police, by the way, are saying it not, does not appear to be random, looks to be targeted. There does not to be, appear to be forced entry. There's other details about whether or not Shady McCoy had the locks or security system changed, whether or not he had control of the video cameras, the security cameras at the house, which may or may not have recorded anything. This is very, very bad. Because if you're Shady McCoy, the one thing you want—if let's let's assume the best out of out of LaShawn McCoy, which by the way we shouldn't because of his past history—and that involves calling Chip Kelly a racist, apparently throwing a girl off a party bus because she wasn't partying hard enough. Uh, there was some other incident that oh, there was the Philadelphia nightclub incident in which a couple of off-duty cops claimed they were beaten up. That one kind of fizzled, and it was a little bit murky as to what happened. But this. This guy's no Boy Scout. This guy has not kept his nose clean since he came in the league. There's been incidents. There's been atmospherics about Shady McCoy. But let's just assume the best. Let's let's say, okay, on the up and up. He's got an ex-girlfriend who is not taking the breakup well. She thinks I gave her a house. I did not. And she will not leave. And it's tough to get people evicted. Apparently, it is murder. Murder to get tenants from properties you legally own and have legal binding documentation of, I own this place, this person is renting it, I have proof they have not paid their rent, and it's been going on for one, two, three, four, whoever knows how many months. you got to go through all this rigmarole to get somebody out of there. Ah, the joys of being a landlord, of which I'm not. But I know many people who are. So let's say he's going through the legal process to get this done and get her out. I would think if I'm Shady McCoy, the the one thing I'd be thinking of, as this, if I was on the up and up, was please God, don't let her car hit a tree, before we get to court and I can lay out my case, because they're going to think that I swerved her off the road or cut her brake line. Please God, don't let her get beat up at a nightclub, in an argument with another woman and another dude and a boyfriend, because they're going to think I'm the one that somehow is involved because I've got this dispute going on with her where I'm trying to get her the fuck out of my house. This looks really bad. And now the question becomes, how much does the NFL want to jump into this? Guys like Mike Florio, who I thought, always thought had a good legal mind, but then every now and then I'm like, "Ah, where does he think, why does he think this way? Florio was the one that advocated for a separate, parallel nfl justice system that would investigate these kind of incidents independent of any legal outcome independent of any police investigation well if that's the case should the nfl immediately swing into action and say listen we know shady mccoy has not even been listed as a person of interest he has not been charged with a crime we don't even want to interview him just yet that's the police's standpoint but this friend of a woman who was brutally beaten says it was one of our players We need to talk to that girlfriend now. Is the NFL going to jump in and do that? I sincerely doubt it. They'd love for this to go away because, God forbid, if you're the NFL, let's imagine the worst case scenario for them. Let's say that they catch the scumbag who did this, and it turns out he sings like a boyd. And he says, yes, uh, here is... You know, I, I was put up to it by Shady. We used to be teammates. Uh, we used to be friends, or we are friends, or there's some connection. Or maybe he doesn't even sing. Maybe it's just they found the guy who did it, John Smith Jr., and there are connections to Shady McCoy here, 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 here. Social media, photos, uh, this, that, the other. This is Shady McCoy's bouncer, or, or Shady McCoy's limo driver, or whatever, or Shady McCoy's trainer at some gym and he's jacked up to the moon. Let's say they they catch the guy, and it's that guy. (laughs) The shit's going to hit the fan at that point. And you don't even have to have an actual criminal charge against Shady McCoy for orchestrating this attack. Even if, let's say, the the crazed bouncer buddy, the roid-headed BFF, is just pissed that this girl is going crazy and not getting out of his friend shady mccoy's house and takes matters into his own hands and does this this is cat five bad for the nfl a league that's decided we're going to cape up and we're going to be leaders in domestic violence and we are going to tackle this issue well they would be neck deep in it at that point they might already be knee deep in it right now or waist deep in it who knows roger goodell call your office Let's talk some fun NFL or interesting NFL. I did this topic yesterday locally, and I'm going to reprise it here if you guys don't get too mad at me. I want your thoughts on this because it's an interesting and, and somewhat difficult exercise. Imagine if the NFL was like a fantasy league where 32 teams convened every year and they redrafted. They redrafted everybody who was in the league. How would that draft go? Now there's one twist I'm going to put on this, which is you're drafting for a five year run of a specific player. You got an empty roster, all thirty two teams have nobody on them, just like in your fantasy league, and NFL GMs get you know, they get a draft order, who gets to pick, and what would be the top who would be the top ten players picked in a fantasy draft style draft? Knowing that you've got them for five years, you, they're under your control for five years. No contract hangups, uh, no free agency, no restricted free agency. Five years. My list would have Aaron Rodgers number one. Aaron Rod, excuse me. Aaron Rodgers is like thirty-two years old. He's got five good years despite several sh- throwing arm shoulder injuries the last couple of years, collarbones, whatnot. Otherwise, still the elite passer in the NFL. Where would Brady be? Brady's too old. Brady does not make my top ten because this is a five-year run we're talking about. Carson Wentz would be number two. Now, I know that this is going to rub a lot of Redskins fans the wrong way. Can't believe you're being such a delusional fanboy. Let's see more out of this guy. I don't think he's that good. And what about the knee injury? All valid arguments, make no mistake. But he looks special. He looked special. He looked really, really special up until the point he got hurt last year. And I'm going to assume that the doctors and Humpty Dumpty's men will be able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again with all those knee ligaments and that you're talking about a young superstar in Carson Wentz going forward. He'd be number two. Russell Wilson will be number three because youth quarterback is the most important and for the most part a lack of serious injuries. And he drinks concussion water, so you got that going for you, which which is nice as well. Aaron Donald, four, because he is a two-way, every-down defensive line difference maker. Great against the run, great against the pass. In the middle of your defensive line, that is extremely hard to find. Von Miller, five, devastating edge rusher that basically cannot be blocked. Julio Jones, six, who, when healthy, is a freak show of a wide receiver. Zeke Elliott, seven. Now you might say, well, what would he be behind behind somebody else's offensive line? That's a good question. He's definitely benefiting from the fact that the Cowboys have road graders up front. But I think Zeke Elliott is a special back in a league where it's harder to find special backs these days. That's why Todd Gurley would be eight for me. Antonio Brown would be nine, even though he is now 30, I want to say. Uh, Khalil Mack, another devastating game-changing edge rusher at 10. I should probably put an offensive lineman in there somewhere in the top 10. I don't know who that would be. I mean, I know the typical O-linemen that are talked about around the league. You'd have to assess for age and injuries. I know the one that, you know, comes to mind for me as a Redskin fan is is Trent, Trent Williams. You know, Trent is awesome, but he's had several very bad knee injuries and he's played a lot of downs so far. He's coming up on what is eighth season, I believe. I don't know if he can be a top 10 guy, but probably a big elite left tackle is somewhere in that NFL top 10 of an expansion style fantasy draft, but for real football players. Just outside that top 10 would be guys like Gronk, who is, I think, on the wrong, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's 32, I believe. Should have got the, hey, when to get the ages before you did this. I know. sorry. Uh, if I had Scott with me, he would be getting the ages as we go along here. Or if you did your research, shut up. Gronk is like 32, lots of injuries. I worry about his zeal for playing five more years. Would not make my top ten. He'd be somewhere in there. Luke Kuechly, incredible middle linebacker. Middle linebacker is devalued, though, and there's concussion history. Matt Ryan, Falcons, really, really good quarterback. Not in that elite level like Aaron Rodgers, Breeze, Brady, Band, etc., What about those guys, Breeze, Brady, and Ben? They're all too old. If I've got a guy for five years, I I can't put Breeze or Brady or Ben in that mix. I think Breeze has three years more max. I think Brady has two years more max. I think Ben has two years more max. And when I say that these guys have two more years of playing or three, I don't mean that they couldn't physically, theoretically keep playing for another four or five years. Especially if the NFL is going to keep bending the rules in a way that makes it easier and easier to pass the ball and harder and harder to defend the pass. I'm saying those guys will all decide in the next two years, Jesus, I have had enough. Even Tommy, who's talked about playing to age 45. J.J. Watt would easily have been in the top 10 of this mythical fantasy expansion draft, but... That injury was so severe, I think everyone wants to see how does he look coming out of the other side of it. Your thoughts? Arguments? You want to move guys around for me? Any twists on this you'd like to make? I'm all ears. Cash versus credit. How many of you out there, let me see a show of hands. I know it's a podcast, I can't see anybody. How many of you out there uh, like to pay for things with cash? Because either you think it keeps you more disciplined as a spender or whether or not uh, you don't like people knowing. Well, he said here on the 15th, you had your 210th consecutive day at the Mobile Mini Mart in which you bought uh, caramel M&Ms. What do you have to say about that, sir? So a story in the Washington Post about how more and more local restaurants are going cashless. To the point at which the D.C. government is thinking they might have to intervene to pass a cash law that says that you cannot not accept good old cash. All I can think of is uh, Randy Moss. Straight cash, homie. (laughs) Cash on the barrelhead as an expression, right? Uh, You know, do you take cash? Used to be a joke. Well, do you take cash? Well, now more and more places are apparently not taking cash, because it's just not as good for the restaurant or for the business. Uh, according to many companies, you know, cash has hidden costs. Not just according to companies, but it does. Armored vehicles have to come in, take money to banks. An extra hour uh, is taken for workers to close out the register and make sure it all, you know, evens out. Employees often swipe money from the till. And there's the threat of robbery with cash businesses. According to one restaurant owner, not having to worry about employees stealing or getting robbed is a huge lift off our minds. The flip side of it is a number of uh, poorer people don't have bank accounts. And there's also a lot of uh, undocumented immigrants... Illegal immigrants don't have banking accounts. They've got to pay for whatever food they want to buy in cash. And of course the mob loves cash as well. So it's a a tough balancing act. There's also a movement apparently called being unbanked. I am unbanked, meaning I don't have a bank. I keep my money, I, I don't know where the unbanked keep their money, per se. But that's apparently a thing that I came across that in this article and on the comments afterwards. Unbanked. Uh, I don't know about that. So here's a couple of comments on the story, just two different sides of it. I've worked in banking with cash, writes one reader. It's a dirty, inefficient, inexpe- expensive, and dangerous business. We as a society spend more producing pennies, nickels, and dimes than they are actually worth. The average dollar bill has a shelf life of about six months and costs almost 20 cents to produce. I'd like to see that. Can A a dollar bill costs 20 cents to make? That can't be right. It's a piece of paper on a printing press. I'd imagine the cost of printing a dollar. Print it, cut it, inspect it ship it out, I would expect it to be like seven cents. Not to mention storage, counting, and transport. I don't even carry cash with me, says this reader. To tell a merchant, merchant what forms of payment they have to have or have to accept is going over the line. It would be better to give the unbanked other options than force the rest of us to continue to carry the costs of an antiquated form of payment. I know that privacy is an antiquated concept, but it doesn't doesn't it deserve a little concern? There are some payments... Oh, this is a separate commenter, so let me stop that right there. I cut and paste, didn't denote it. You're killing it today, Zay. Thank you. Um, Antiquated form of payment. Yeah, yes, cash is becoming more and more an antiquated form of payment, just like goats or a jug of milk used to be payment. That has become antiquated. I almost think we're not going to be able to fight it, which I hate because... I do, I do hate the lack of privacy. I think there is great potential evil in knowing every single person's transaction about everything. Well, what are you worried about? You're buying a taco. It's not just the one taco one day. It's the next thing you purchase and the next thing you purchase. And then it's the picture of, well, look, we now have a profile on this guy. Big data, big tyranny, not a fan of it. Here's another commenter. I know that privacy is an antiquated concept, but doesn't it deserve a bit of concern? There are some payments, like at a pharmacy or at a lunch meeting, that I'd rather not have recorded in my name. None of that implies protection for illegal activity, only a desire to avoid directed advertisements that will come to follow any purchase. I can see, for example, a guy decides to go buy uh, a dozen roses at a flower shop and then go to a restaurant to have lunch with somebody uh, when he's off at work. The wife sees these payments come across the credit card and immediately assumes he's cheating. Or maybe not immediately, but let's say she does. A big kerfuffle ensues. Next thing you know, the two are arguing and they end up divorced. Turns out that the flowers were for a co-worker uh, who had you know, lost a, a mother or a father at work and that you then went to the restaurant to go meet up with a buddy of yours who... Uh, works across town in a different office and there was nothing to it. That's what having every transaction recorded could possibly do. If that sounds overly paranoid or, ah, you're rolling your eyes, that's just one little example of how, hey, I really don't want you knowing what I'm spending my money on. Like when I go buy a new camera at b Photo, a lot of times I take the money from my PayPal account, which I generate by selling off <laughs> other cameras that i have bought previously and or stuff that's in my basement things i might have got through a promotion at work or some you know trade deal and i haven't opened them and i whatever and i put it on ebay and i make 40 50 100 150 bucks goes into my paypal i'm like i got some money here in paypal let's buy the new camera never it's like rain that's on the radar but never hits the ground and i ain't the only one that does that Thigh-slapping tennis hotties. Wow. This is a story right here. Apparently, there was a thigh-slapping controversy at Wimbledon the other day between two female players. What happened was one of the competitors was uh, slapping her thigh (laughs) too exuberantly, and her opponent complained to the chair umpire. Dominika Sibulkova, was slapping her thighs and Joe Conta claimed it was distracting. This was between first and second serves. Chibelkova went on to win six three six four, and insisted afterwards she had done nothing wrong. This after confirming the Brit opponent of hers had made a complaint to the chair umpire. Quote, Joe complained to the umpire about me slapping my leg when I wanted to when waiting to receive, but I've been doing that my whole career, and I see no reason to stop now, said the Slovakian, and that is what I told the umpire. That's the first time anyone has ever complained about it. Kanta, for her case, said she's very intense. She was slapping her thigh. It was like a clapping. I just asked the umpire if it would be the same. Is it the same if someone else from externally in the crowd would clap in between the first and second serves? That was more what was bothering me. The umpire had a word with her, and she stopped. She doesn't do it in a malicious way. She does it to pump herself up. It was nothing more than that. Both women downplayed the significance of the uh, incident. And the two shook hands after the match. Now I went and looked up. Somebody sent me a picture of Miss Dominika Sibulkova. And let me tell you. She's alright. Now she's got some thighs on her. No question about it. She is an athlete. She, She is built. But. She cleans up real nice. There's some glamour shots of her that she has taken. You're like, all right, look at that. Now there's some other shots. I'm looking at an action shot of her, her from Wimbledon. I'm going, yeah, okay, that's not so good. And as I'm sort of you know, getting this feedback yesterday on the show, I'm thinking to myself, am I even allowed in today's day and age to admire hot tennis players and to compare them and talk about yeah, she's kind of muscular, but she's got that Eastern European look that I just love. Am I allowed to do that? I got very weird thinking some someone's going to complain. In today's perpetually offended and tissue paper thin sensibility world, someone's going to bitch. I can't believe it. he was talking about their looks. Yeah, well, she posed for this smoking hot photo on her own time that's on the internet in which she's all dressed up in a skimpy outfit with makeup on and her hair done, why'd she do that? To not have it be seen? To not have men go, hey, that Chibulkova, she's all right. And for the record, she can slap her thighs all she wants around me. All she wants. Oh, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie, but they keep telling us this lie, and by they I mean uh, you know the sports networks that be. They keep telling us it's a lie, and yet we're not that dumb. At least we shouldn't be that dumb. Phil Mushnick, New York Post, professional crank, but he's not wrong, points this out in his recent column, headline, Transparency in Sports Means Being Less Dishonest, at Best. Sunday, during Fox's World Cup telecast of Croatia versus Denmark, play-by-play man Mark Followill could not have made it more clear. On the next day's Brazil-Mexico match, he dutifully said, 9 Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific is the start time. That was followed by a graphic. Brazil-Mexico, 9 a.m. Eastern time, 6 a.m. Pacific. The game ended up beginning as it was scheduled. At 10 a.m. Eastern time, not 9 a.m. Thus, as it has throughout cup play, writes Phil Mushnick, Fox tried to sucker viewers with a one-hour lie. There should be a law against this, just like there should be a law about listing the exact start time of movies in movie theaters. In fact, I believe there was a lawsuit that was brought about that to movie theaters where some guy said, hey, you know what? You need to tell us, when is this movie actually, when is the feature movie I'm paying for, when is it going to start? That is a basic consumer right to know that. If it's listed at nine o'clock and you want to get us in there to buy popcorn and watch the previews, and now watch the commercials before the previews, then you need to tell us it starts at nine eighteen p.m. I don't think that lawsuit succeeded, or if it did succeed, it really hasn't changed things because, you know, I still go to movies and I'm like, God dang it, this thing, movie is taking forever to start. But I kind of build that in now, where I'm like, okay, it says nine guaranteed 15 minutes of previews, so I don't have to worry about that. But why do they get away with doing this? If they just want to say, you know, pregame starts at 9, they could. Shouldn't there be... Where is the FCC on this, for God's sakes? Aren't they the ones supposedly monitoring and keeping track of this? There really should be, and this is the same thing with any big event. Final Four college football playoff, uh, NFL playoff games, you need to give us a start time. It's the least that we're, we deserve as sports fans. Mushtick also pointed out that that afternoon as Tiger Woods and many other unimportant and unseen others chased runaway TPC Potomac winner Francesco Molinari, CBS's golf crew reported that the heat and humidity were conspiring to defeat Woods. No, no one else, just Woods as TV continues to sell the transparent sell of Woods to the exclusion of both other golfers and the golf itself. Well, Mushnick is right about this, and he's wrong about this. He's right in that the networks do not give a crap about anybody else in the field if Tiger Woods is anywhere near contention. But he's wrong in that they'd be stupid if they didn't. This is what networks need to do. Television ratings for the PGA Tour have been generally down for any event Tiger Woods is not in. For all but one of the events Tiger Woods has been in, TV ratings are up. Television is in the business of getting ratings. Not in the business of showing every golfer and every shot equally so they can be fair. I saw Dan Patrick had on Eli Manning uh, the other day as a guest on his show. And immediately, and I caught this mid-conversation, so I don't know what ground was covered beforehand. If you saw the interview and if this was covered beforehand, then let me know. But boy, it pissed me off so much I had to turn it away. Turn it off. I catch, I'm flipping around, I catch Dan's show, and I see Eli Manning is on the phone, and they're talking about Eli Manning's game-worn helmet from Super Bowl, or whatever the number was, in which the Giants stunned the New England Patriots and left them 18-1 and 1 instead of 19-0 and 0 for the first time in NFL history. Eli Manning, you know, was kind of like, Ho oh, oh, ho, shucks, yeah, it's going to go for a lot of money. I mean, you know, I don't know. And Dan's like, Do you have any favorite pieces of memorabilia that you like? And, you know, again, old shucks, you know, oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, Ah! You can't ask him this without bringing up the fact that he was involved in pushing counterfeit memorabilia. Now, maybe this was dealt with before I saw this little snippet of the show. Maybe it was dealt with afterwards. But it was way too chummy, and it was way too glossy over e about, yeah, I see your helmet is going up for auction. How do people know it's the real one? Because you had been you know conspiring with these now fired equipment managers to push out multiple versions of supposedly once in a lifetime used merchandise the larger thing that i had found from the story is that there are in terms of you know really historic game worn helmets they're hard to find and that you know i think the other most expensive game worn helmet that has ever gone up for auction was uh, James Harrison's, who was worn in the Super Bowl against the Cardinals, I want to say. If that's the second highest helmet ever auctioned, then historic, big-game, authentic NFL helmets are hard to find on the collector's market. That's what I took away from it. So remember that FBI agent accused of accidentally dropping his firearm and it going off at a wedding? And let me just change the cues to, you saw it, I saw it, it happened. Well, here's your update on that. Uh, By the way, he hit a bystander in the leg. Uh, He can now carry his work weapon again as he considers a possible plea deal. A judge allowed the change to Chase Bishop's conditions for release from jail during a short court hearing on Tuesday. His lawyer told Judge Fran Simonette that the FBI strongly encourages its agents to carry the service weapons when they are not working. Prosecutors did not object, and so the judge said this FBI idiot could be armed both on and off duty. He will not be allowed to drink or use drugs while his case is pending. The hearing was scheduled for prosecutors to lay out the evidence against Bishop, but that was delayed after Goddard said prosecutors had offered a plea deal, and that his client needed time to consider it. A spokesman for the Denver District Attorney's Office confirmed an offer but said he could only provide deta- details once the offer was accepted. This guy lives and works here in D.C. He's charged with second-degree assault in the shooting at the Mile High Spirits and Distillery. Video: sh- The bystander, Tom Reddington, was treated and released from the hospital. He's hired a lawyer who advertises locally about large payouts that he has gotten for his clients. Yeah, I hope so. Reddington, the victim, told ABC News last no- last month he does not blame Bishop. What are you talking about? Of course you blame Bishop. Quote, I'm not vindictive at all. I don't want to ruin his life. At this point, there's nothing we can do to fix it, so let's just move on and deal with it as best we can. Oh, no. I you Ruin his life, no. But this guy should not be an FBI agent. Ever. That That's it. Your FBI career is done. And your your right to carry, well, I don't want to get into Second Amendment issues, but no. No, you're done. You're too dumb. You did a backflip with a gun in your waistband. And then you went to pick it up like a dummy, and it went off, and it shot a guy. This is a case where luckily nobody was killed, so this is all possible. I can assure you, had somebody died, let's say a six-year-old girl got, she took it in the head and died After this idiot did this, he ain't getting out of jail, and he's not getting a plea deal to get his gun back. And his FBI career is over. Imagine around work. Yeah, you shot any six-year-old kids at a wedding doing backflips, you idiot, lately? Ridiculous. PGA Tour schedule for 2018 slash 2019 is out this is only for the nerdiest of nerds to care about but i just wanted to say one little thing about it and that is the pga tour has an instagram account because that's what the kids are all about and the commissioner i guess wrote okay the schedule's out everybody and in the release the commissioner said some people said it couldn't be done (laughs) what What the hell did you just say? So you're saying that you didn't know if you'd get a schedule out, huh? Yes, there are major changes. This is going to be a huge change in the world of golf that the PGA Championship is played in May, sandwiched between the Masters and the U.S. Open, and the British Open ends the major schedule in mid-July, and then they go ahead with the playoffs and then, you know, uh, FedEx Cup Championship, and then they get out of the way for football, which I'm fine with. the, The overall concept with how the tour runs things now Uh, Makes sense to me. But that said, uh, they said it couldn't be done? A schedule? You couldn't get a schedule out? Uh, Come on. Some of the key changes on the tour schedule for 2018-2019. The WGC Mexico Championship moved from February to March. I should get my hey-how-about-that. (laughs) Hey-how-about-that. There we go. Players goes back to March where it once belonged out of May. Texas Open goes the week before the Masters. Previously, it was two weeks after. PGA from August to May. Canadian Open moved ahead of the U.S. Open. It was previously one month after. Rocket Mortgage Classic in June and 3M Open in July are new events. Those are the ones, one of those is our event here in D.C. that got moved. One FedEx Cup playoff event has been eliminated, so there's now just three FedEx Cup playoff events. Greenbrier and Houston will be played in the 2019-2020 season. Boston is out of the annual rotation. Detroit and Minnesota get new events. And the most important thing, uh, did I say Fincham? I meant to say Jay Monahan. Jay Monahan, the new commissioner of the PGA Tour, said, quote, by concluding at the end of August, the FedEx Cup playoffs no longer have the challenge of sharing the stage with college and professional football. That is a fantastic quote. So few leagues ever want to admit that there's another bully on the sports block with bigger muscles that can beat the shit out of them if they wanted to. They all want to pretend like, well, you know, uh, we got to do our thing, and uh, we know a lot of people like football, but that's not our concern. Our golf fans will still be there. No, the PGA Tour figured it out, and they're honest about it. We don't want to compete with football. So this is great. August is a very down month still, even with preseason games going on. So the PGA Tour is moving what they want to be an attractive part of their calendar, an attractive part of their product, which it really isn't. The Cup you know, playoffs, are they're not major championships. But at least they've moved their hokey little playoff deal into August and they've explicitly said it's to avoid football. And then they start their season on a wraparound basis in the fall with lesser events where players can still grind and make money to get their tour card before the whole circus starts up again in January. To which I say, brilliant, good job. I'm I'm a fan of this. As a golf nerd, I'm a fan of the new schedule. Let's see how it works out. We are all way too reliant on GPS navigation in our cars. And it's funny talking about GPS navigation. I still think I have a standalone TomTom navigation unit that's brand new in the box that was given to me as part of a radio campaign many years ago with a suction cup mount to put on your windshield and uh, a charger for it. (laughs) How quaint that is, isn't it, kids? Now that we have our phones, which has incredible navigation. Waze, which everyone seems to love. I, I don't like the cartooniness of it. That's the only thing I don't like about Waze. But Waze that can report as much, as you know, about you know police officers and traffic. Just a car on the shoulder. And you drive up, you're like, son of a bitch, there really is a car on the shoulder. And that was causing a little bit of a slowdown. Our navigation on our phones, which now incorporates real-time traffic data is so good. It's so crazy good. You think about the old navigation units that we used to have, and you kind of laugh. I remember renting cars, in which I paid the extra twenty nine ninety nine to have a navigation unit with me when I'm on the road. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going, but I'd love to have navigation. Because I had a flip phone, because it was 2005. And that was the world as we knew it. Well, we're too reliant on GPS navigation to the point where... Oh, there's a couple incidents that came up recently, one being a woman who was drunk, so that was probably it, who ended up driving up the steps of a major building in town uh, and said that it was navigation that made her do it. Yeah, that and the fact that you were neck deep in vodka, but whatever. Then there was the truck driver who got stuck at the Route 12 end of the road sand pit in the Outer Banks. If you've ever been to the Outer Banks, basically, you go north on Route 12 for miles and miles and miles. 10 miles, 11 miles, 12 miles. It feels like a lot longer because it's a narrow road and uh, just you know two-lane highway. And eventually the pavement runs out. And then, you can go out, on, out onto the beach and then you can go further up where there's houses that are built on the beach where there's no road. You have to have true four-wheel drive. Don't try to go with all-wheel drive. My brother-in-law, Todd, did that. Got stuck in his Buick Enclave. It was not fun. But uh you go out there with four-wheel drive and you get to your place well a trucker an interstate van lines 18-wheel trucker got stuck (laughs) in the sand even if you get to the end of the road and you do this little you know you turn your truck you're like okay because you take a right turn to go down to where the beach is don't you at your last scrap of sand don't you say, you know what? I'm not going out of the sand. I don't care how hard it's going to be for me to back out of here. I am not going to put this truck on the sand. Ten years ago, I would have never thought Jack Nicholas would be on Twitter. Of course, ten years ago, I don't think Twitter existed. But still, when Twitter came on, I was like, Jack Nicholas is never going to tweet. Well, there he is, official blue check mark certified at Jack Nicholas. Nicholas now basically tweets fishing photos all the time. Golf, eh, he's done with golf. And when Scott gets back, he's going to have a field day with this, with his Evil Jack impression. For those that don't know, Evil Jack is this mythical creature of, instead of Jack Nicholas being the gentlest, nicest, kindest, smartest icon of the game, a gentleman's gentleman, what if Jack Nicholas was kind of evil? Based on the one time he kind of snapped at uh, Melissa Stark, at the nighttime golf event. Here it is. I don't mind you walking. You're pretty to look at, but I don't want you walking right back forth on the line. <laughs> Many years ago, Scott and I extrapolated this out to go, what if there was an evil Jack? What if there was a, a parallel Jack there? I was like, yeah, you son of a bitches. You know, Rude, crude, didn't give a bleep about anything. Well, evil Jack would love this. He, The real Jack Nicholas tweeted out, my five and a half pound bonefish, one of five I caught, while Barbara... Caught two, but she stole the day with his thirteen pound mutton snapper caught on a Bill's crab fly. Another great day of being outfished by my wife. <laughs> yeah, I caught a bonefish, and then uh hell barber with that mutton snapper. A mutton snapper and caught it on a Bill's crab fly. Scotland, please come back. We uh we miss you. He'll be back. Has he been suspended? No, he's just he's moved his vacation up to July because like all parents with high school kids that play sports, August is now basically preseason. It's a no-go. You got no chance of taking your kid anywhere in August if they're playing high school sports. What would you do for a million dollars? Would you play football half-assed? knowing you're going to be suspended and knowing your heart's not into it to be able to keep a million dollars. Well, apparently Donald Stevenson has said no to a million dollars. Dayline Cleveland, the Browns' offensive lineman Donald Stevenson, who had been suspended without pay for the first two games of the 2018 season for violating the NFL's substance abuse policy, has opted to retire. A six-year veteran of the Chiefs and Broncos, Stevenson signed a one-year deal with the Browns, for $2.5 million in the offseason, it included a $1 million guaranteed signing bonus. Because he retired, he won't receive the $1 million guaranteed. He was set to challenge for playing time at right tackle. In Stevenson's absence, fellow free agent pickup Chris Hubbard, formerly the Steelers, will likely start the season at right tackle. Stevenson was a surprise no-show at the voluntary OTAs in the mandatory minicamp last month. Hugh Jackson said he'd be fine for missing minicamp up to eighty-four grand. Yada, 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 yada. Million dollars, man. <laughs> it's hard to make a million dollars. I think we can all attest to that, most of us civilians living in the real world. Make a million dollars. Now, I'm, a fa- I'm a personally of the belief that if you play professional football, when you're done playing, you're done. And don't think twice, just go. It's not a forever game. You shouldn't try to play 20 years like Junior Seau, may you rest in peace. Nothing good comes from that. For the most part, nothing good. You play the game as long as your body holds up, as long as your mind is still willing to do it, and hopefully you squirrel away all the money you can along the way. But my God, a million. uh, Stevenson should probably say, you know what, I kind of want that million. I will take the two-game suspension. I'll have a chunk taken out of that. I'm going to show up, I'm going to play as well as I can, and it's going to be over in a couple months, and I'm going to bank that $600,000 because as soon as I'm done with football, making $600,000 a year is going to be hard enough unto itself. But that's just me. If he really is done, he's done. But he signed a one-year deal. I wonder if that suspension had anything to do with it. Maybe he figures, I'm going to get. Do- now I'm only going to get paid 14 games. I'm really not into it, and that's it. I'm out. It's only a million dollars. Maybe he's saved millions and millions of dollars, but I'd uh, I'd reach for that million. And why don't we end on this one today. Under the headline, a distinction without a difference on the thesmokinggun.com. I do love that term, a distinction without a difference. A man, an, an inebriated motorist, assured Florida police that he was not drinking while driving. He was only swigging from a bottle of Jim Beam bourbon when his vehicle was paused at stop signs and traffic signals. Well, that makes sense. Earl Gustavus Stevens, who looks like a cross between General Norman Schwarzkopf and, oh, I don't know who else he'd look like. (laughs) His mugshot, he's looking sideways like, what, was that wrong? The 69-year-old Stevens was arrested for driving his Mercury Grand Marquis while under the influence. The Vero Beach resident, now free on $1,500 bond, was nabbed after a driver called 911 to report that his car repeatedly tapped her bumper while they were in a McDonald's drive through lane. When a sheriff's deputy contacted Stevens, he was reeking of alcohol, slurring his words, had red and glossy eyes, and on the passenger seat was a bottle of Jim Beam, from which... The driver admitted he'd been drinking. When asked if he was drinking in the car, Stephen said no. Then explained he was enjoying the bourbon only at stop signs. The deputy further noted that Stephen's distinction when it came to drinking while driving was that he further explained that he was not drinking while the car was moving, only when it was stopped at traffic signals. Now, dude, that's still drinking and driving. It's not drinking while driving, but that's not the law. You're a drunk driver. You're a menace to society. Time to pay the price. That will be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends. Hit up your Reddit thread and message boards about this podcast. Leave a positive review rating. Download, subscribe to all the major podcast outlets, iTunes, Google Play, and more. And always remember, if England loses today, God help every Croatian eatery in the UK. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.